I wanted to clarify something. Um, I think sometimes when we, we have a revival or we have a conference or a series of services, we, we might start out uh, by thinking that, that, that we really we are in need of something. That we are in need of God doing something. And that's very much true. Uh, we desperately need God to revive our hearts, to revive them afresh and anew. We, we need the power of God to fall on our community and on our nation because there is a desperate need for that. But I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't also point out that I think this weekend is an opportunity for us to rejoice in what God is already doing. That God is already working and moving in the hearts and lives of all of us. He is moving and working in our community. And so we rejoice in what He's doing. But I think, or I hope, that you come to this weekend with a great expectation of what he is going to do. Uh, because I'm excited, but I'm hoping that we are more excited. So, with that said, I want us to look at Isaiah 55. My name is Michael Pardue. I, uh, many of you are our guests this evening. I uh, see that in the, in the crowd. Uh, we are glad that you're here. Um, uh, I've been here a few weeks and didn't really think that I needed to get someone to get up and introduce me. Uh, that seemed a little out of place. Uh, so I'm here, and, and I'm the pastor. And uh, as I told someone the other day, I'm, my goal tonight is to lay down a bunt. Okay, I'm the leadoff. And in baseball, sometimes you want someone to lay down a bunt and get on base so that the big guy can get up and hit it later. And... Uh, now, I was talking about Marty Jackman. I wasn't. So, uh, uh, but, so we're glad that you're here. Isaiah chapter 55. If you would and are able this evening, I invite you to stand with me in reverence to God's word from this amazing passage. Isaiah writing here says, Come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, 
and our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in that thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. You may be seated. I hope this evening the Lord will add to the reading and the hearing of His Word. I want to propose to you this evening that this text is a wonderful recipe for revival. It is a wonderful recipe for us because it is not a 12-step plan by which we can follow and somehow generate man-made interest in the things that are not of God. It is a recipe for revival because it centers on God and His riches toward His people. It gives us hope because it shows us that we are incapable in and of ourselves of bringing forth the blessing and the joy and the gracious gifts of God. And I'm really glad that he makes that point. Because we do a really lousy job of making those things happen in and of ourselves. He starts out in verse 1, verses 1 through 3, and he gives an invitation to revival. An invitation to be revived by God. He says, come. Come everyone who is thirsty. I don't know about you, but that seems like it's about everyone. Everybody's been thirsty. The richest of rich have been thirsty. The poorest of poor have been thirsty. Everyone, he says, come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. He invites them in. He says, he who has no money, let him come and buy and eat. You have no money. You have nothing. Come, buy, and eat. God invites His people to be revived. He says there further in verse 1, come by without money. God says, you have nothing to offer to me. You have nothing that I want, nothing that I need, but come. You've got no money. But come and buy. He, he, not only st- he doesn't stop there. He says, without money and without price. He says, not only is there nothing with which you can offer, but there is nothing that you have that would matter. There's nothing that you could give that would have any benefit. 
If you had all the money in the world, the thing that God is offering you would still be too valuable for you to buy. The richest person who has ever lived could not exchange all of his riches for a moment of God's blessing. And yet, even though that is the case, even though we have nothing, he says, come. He asks a question in verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why is it that we so often try to manufacture things that do not matter? We try to make something happen. We, we made really nice signs for this weekend and we, we put them all up in the community. But that doesn't make people come. It doesn't, just because we have this event doesn't mean that God will send us revival if we think that it is this event that will cause that to happen. If we think that our increased church attendance will, will cause God to send His blessings, we are sadly mistaken. Because He calls us to come. Come with nothing. Come with no presuppositions. Come with nothing. And come and drink. So often we labor for things which do not matter, the things that really do not satisfy. We invest our time and efforts in those things, and, and in the end what God is saying is they, they don't matter. They're a waste. It's like going into the store and spending our money on moldy bread that we could never eat. He replaces these things that we try with something different. He, he talks about thirst in verse 1, and in verse 2 he talks about listening. Thirst, coming to the waters, is replaced by listening to Him, eating what is good, delighting in these rich foods. God has offered them what they could not buy. He has offered them the ability to come into His presence, to hear His Word, and to consume it. Other places in Scripture, we, we are told by God to eat His Word, to devour it, to allow it to satisfy us. Not to worry about all the other things going on, not to worry about the world around us and the chaos around us. One of the beautiful things about a weekend like this is that we can hone in our focus on God. A million other places you could have been tonight, but you came tonight to dwell on the things of God. That's what setting aside the things that don't matter and consuming His Word does for us. He says in verse 3, Incline your ear and come to Me here that your soul may live. How interesting. He has talked about thirst which can kill our physical bodies. He has talked about hunger, which again can kill our physical bodies. But what he says is, put those things aside. Put aside the things that don't matter because what will cause you to live is listening to me. Listening to my word. Come and hear that your soul may live. What does He do? He builds with them an everlasting covenant when they listen. 
God has given them this wonderful invitation to be revived. I think you and I need not take that for granted. I think we mess up when we believe that there is something we are going to do to cause revival to happen. When we believe that there is something that we are going to manufacture. That we're going to spend the time, we're going to craft things so well, we're going to develop a strategy and a plan that will somehow send God's revival. And he says, first, listen to me. If you're familiar with the gospel account of the transfiguration, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appear. Moses, the, the law, the, the main character, or one of the main characters of the Old Testament, Elijah, the greatest of all the prophets. And they are standing there talking with Jesus. And God speaks out of heaven, and He says, This is my Son. Listen to Him. Folks, the first step in revival is to respond to the invitation to listen to God. It seems simple. It seems easy. But so often we get caught up in all these things that don't matter. We try to manufacture revival through our efforts, and all that ever happens is we end up greatly disappointed. Our hearts sink low when we can't make God do the thing that we desire. And yet what he sits back and says is, listen to me. He gives the invitation in verses 1 through 3. Now, look with me beginning in verse 4. He gives us the scope of revival. Sometimes I don't believe that we think about revival big enough. We have this idea that revival is about us or about our church or even about our community. And God does revive us, and He does revive our churches, and He does revive our communities, but the scope of revival is so much greater. Look in verse 5. He says, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. See, for Israel... They are a land-based people. They are focused on a strip of land. If that land wasn't important, they wouldn't still be fighting nearly 3,000 years after this was written. But they do. Each and every day, people are killed over this strip of land. But God tells them, Isaiah, the scope of my revival, the scope of my renewal is going to be so much greater than just what you're seeing. It's going to be so much greater than just this strip of land that you live on and people who lay claim to that land. He says a, a nation that you do not know will call you. A nation that you did not know shall run to you. When God renews His people, the scope of His revival is all nations. Why do you think as Southern Baptists we put such a heavy emphasis on missions to people in other parts of the world who don't know Him? 
It's because what God is doing is working in the hearts and lives of all nations. He wants to send revival to all people. He wants to renew all people. If we, if we think about revival in the small scope of our own hearts, then we'll miss what God is doing. Because I believe that it should revive us when we look across the nations and we see our brothers and sisters who are standing for their faith and dying for their faith. It should prick our hearts to see what God is doing in their lives. If you want to see revival, go and look at the church in place where God is moving, the church is expanding, and people are suffering for their faith. Why is that? It's because God is offering His revival to all nations. But He doesn't stop there. Look look at the next verse. He he talks about in verse 6 that the scope of revival is to also all sinners. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his thoughts and the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Not only does God send revival and want to send revival to all people, but he he wants to do so for all sinners. He doesn't want to just send revival to us who, who seem to have it all together. He doesn't want to just send revival to we who have who have crafted out a a pretty good morality. Jesus spent His time with the lowest in His society. He spent time with those who were most affected by sin, whose sin had dealt most harshly with. That's where Jesus went, and that's because God is sending revival and renewal to all sinners. See, our God's grace is so good It is so big, it is so wide and deep that there is no one who is outside of God's love. There is no one who has went so far that they can't be brought back through the message of the gospel. If we want to have revival, if we want our hearts changed by Christ's message, we will realize that God is looking to save sinners. And not just the sinners that we can clean up easily, but the sinners who God has to work a great miracle. The scope is all nations. The scope is all sinners. And God's scope is not ours. And I am so thankful for this in verses 8 and 9. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And that is awfully easy to see. But he's saying this in light of his desire to renew all nations and all sinners. Because see, you and I, we would not have that view. Look how hard it is for us to have that view when we have been changed by Christ. Look how hard it is for us to love the nations and to love sinners. Look how difficult it is in our hearts for us to forgive and love those who need it most. So it is easy for God to say, your ways are not my ways. And your thoughts 
are not my faults. You and I would go about it a different way. You and I would choose a different path. Going all the way back to Christ, you and I would not give our son to die for the world. You and I would not have made that sacrifice. It might be easy to say we would when we look at the people around us who we love, but what about the people who are far off that we hate? There's no way we would say that we would give our son to die in their place. But aren't you thankful that God said, your ways are not mine, and my thoughts are not yours. We are not the same in verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God sees much further than we do. He understands much further than we do. He knows what is going to happen. He has seen it. He has been there. He is crafting out His will and His plan for the world. He's making it happen each and every day even to the point where God knows what we will all say this weekend. And He is crafting it to be exactly what we all need to hear. God is working so that the words that are spoken will change the hearts of the people who listen. Not because I say them. Not because Mark Harris says them. But because God God cares about the nations. God cares about sinners. And He works so that people are reached with the gospel of Christ. And friends, if we want to be revived, our hearts will be turned toward being a part of what God is doing. Having our hearts led by His message and His purpose so that we can reach these people with the gospel. So what is the foundation? He's invited us to revival. He's shown us what it looks like. What undergirds God sending revival? Verses 10 and 11, it's very clear. It is His Word. He gives this great analogy. The rain and the snow fall. And it is so good that when they fall and hit the ground, they don't immediately turn and go right back up. We kind of need the rain, right? Now, it seemed like for the last few months we have lived in Seattle. Didn't know I'd moved to Seattle when I came to Burke County, but apparently that's what it's been like. But don't we need that? Because when the rain falls and when the snow falls, it causes something to happen. It comes for a purpose. It works itself through the dirt. The rain falls and covers the earth. And when it does, seeds begin to grow. When it does, how interesting, he says it helps both the sower, the starting point, and the eater, the ending point. Everything is affected by the rain. The farmer is able to plant The crops are able to grow. He is able to live by selling them. And you and I are able to buy them and live. Animals eat them and we eat them. Unless you're a vegetarian. And we'll talk about that later. You eat the animals and then we live. Some of us shoot them first and then eat them. And it's a wonderful cycle. 
it does keep us alive. And he says, guess what? My word is the same way. He says when my word, so verse 11, shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty. When God's word falls on us, it will accomplish all that he gives for it to do. It shall succeed in the thing in which he sends it. Friends, if we try to have revival outside of God's word, we have nothing. We have nothing which to stand on. We have nothing to be revived about. It might generate happiness. It might generate some type of manufactured fake joy. Our church attendance might grow. There are plenty of big churches that don't live in God's Word. They're well attended. People give. People get excited. People might even do good things. But friends, that is not revival. Revival is you and I listening to the Word of God and it changing our hearts. It giving us direction. It leading, leading us to where we should go. God sets the foundation for revival because it doesn't return empty. If you and I get up and we've, as a church, been going through the book of Galatians, if you and I get up and give some other gospel it may very well return empty as a matter of fact my prayer is that when a false gospel is proclaimed it always comes back empty that it delivers no one over to the death that Paul talks about in the law but when we dwell on God's word we always have success see I think sometimes you and I believe that revival has to be this state. And it's almost like something that it turns on and then it turns off. That God's upstairs somewhere with a spigot and He's playing games with us. He turns it on sometimes and we, we've got revival and then He turns it off. He might do it because we feel like we're being sinful and sometimes we don't know why He would do it. I think it's because sometimes we have the wrong concept of what revival is. God revives His people's heart when they dwell on His Word. When they focus on who He is and what He has done in Christ. Giving us new life through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When we focus on that, how can we help but be revived? How can we help but show the joy and love that are in our heart when the Spirit dwells there and leads us? So we can't manufacture revival. But when God has called us to Himself, when God has given us new life in Christ, there is nothing to keep us from having revival. There is nothing that prevents it. Those people in history past who have experienced great awakenings, when they have seen scores and scores of people saved, it wasn't because somehow in that time God decided to send His Spirit for the first time in a long time. It's because they got serious about the Word of God. They proclaimed the Word of God and lives were changed. And folks, that's what it takes. It's not something else. 
It's not something that we have to hope will happen. It's not something that has to come along only on a certain time that God has scheduled, but rather it is when we get into His Word and His Word directs us. I promise you, if we do that, God sends revival. I promise you it will work. Because throughout history, those who have got into this book, who have got into God's Word, their hearts have been revived. So what's it look like? Look with me in verse 12. What are the results of revival in the Word? He says, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign. What are the results of revival? We, we go forth in joy. We, we're led forth in peace. We just finished Galatians last Sunday morning. There are two fruits of the Spirit right there. There are two evidences of the Spirit at work in our life. There are joy and peace present right there. God hasn't changed from Isaiah to Galatians. He hasn't done something differently right here. God is sending joy and peace to His people. Imagine this. The mountains are falling down and singing. Trees have somehow developed hands and are clapping. God changes things when He sends revival. Go back and think about the rain and the snow. When it falls, when it hits the ground, and it seeps into the ground and it it goes into roots, the water and the snow, it's not really, it doesn't really care where it goes. Like, water doesn't have a mind of its own. I mean, a lot of us, I mean, I actually have a really, really nice yard, so I'm not a good example of this, but some of you have really, really bad yards. And they're really, really full of weeds. And the rain, it falls on the just and the unjust, right? It falls on the grass and the weeds all the same. But when the word falls, all of a sudden, the thorns are replaced by great and beautiful trees. All of a sudden, the briars are replaced by great and beautiful trees. See, when God sends His Word and it, it does everything that He intends, it accomplishes everything that He wants, it doesn't go and bring forth junk. It doesn't go and grow up weeds and briars. What it does is it grows up great and mighty trees. It does something good. It does exactly what God intends. When we see revival, then what we'll see is we'll see our hearts changed. We'll see our church changed. We'll see our community radically altered. We'll see our nation transformed into something much greater than it is today. We will see the nations revived. 
we will see sinners revived. When God's Word is planted into our hearts, when it is on our lips, when we study it and focus on it and dwell on it, God sends us revival. It's not coming any other way. We're not going to just make it happen. We are intentionally going to have to get into His Word and dig out what God has said and live by it and dwell on it and let it lead us. When we do that, friends, we will be revived. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, You are so wonderful. God, You have called us to come. To come and to drink when we are thirsty. To come and to eat when we are hungry. God, You have called us to live in Your Word. And God, when we do, You will send revival. You will renew our hearts. You will renew our minds, God. You will change our church and our community. This world will come to know You when we dwell on Your Word. God, sinners will be saved. Lives will be changed and we will be revived. God, help us. Help us to consume Your Word. Help us to live in it, God. Let it speak to our heart. Let it change us. Transform our heart in Christ. Lord God, we want to be revived. God, I pray that you do that in our heart, beginning today. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.